for me, my philosophy is authenticity. If you can find a way to to bring authenticity into yourself as a leader and an individual, but into your business and your brand, it resonates really powerfully. It resonates with your people and how they can be really great at what they're doing. Then it resonates out through your organization to your customer base and market. Hello, and welcome to the FinTech Marketing Podcast, bringing you insights and ideas from the world's leading financial service marketers. I'm your host, Eric Fulweiler, Chief Marketing Officer of 11FS. I'm on a mission to learn how the world's hottest fintech startups and most innovative financial service brands drive growth through modern day marketing. Today's guest is James Kidd, Global Head of Brand Strategy and Marketing at Zero, who is joining us all the way from Auckland. James, thanks so much for making the time. Hey, Eric. Good to be here with you. Awesome. Uh, so, so let's get into it. Um, so to kick us off, James, tell us about your favorite brand in FS, and it can't be your own. <laughs> what a loaded question. Hey, look, there's a couple of my life that just sort of bubble up at the moment. One is a, um, an app and a product called Splitwise, which I think just hits on a really cool um, – cycle of evolution we're seeing and seeing in fintech which is purpose-driven apps and services um, where there's a need that's really not being filled today and so for those of the you that don't know splitwise helps with group expense management so if you're going on a group trip road trip or something like that it helps everyone collaborate on recording their expenses and then making sure everyone gets reimbursed evenly at the end now, intuitively, that sounds like a very small sort of um, niche opportunity. But when you start to look at the growth of Splitwise and experience the product, it makes it easy. And you suddenly become quite surprised just how often you, you might use something like Splitwise. So I'm, I'm loving Splitwise at the moment. Yeah, me too, actually. So I, I use it for exactly that use case. Trips with friends and family uh, just makes it so easy. Have they? I haven't seen them do much marketing. It came to me, and I've also spread it just through word of mouth. Are they doing any marketing at this point? You know, it's funny you say that because that's exactly how I've experienced it. Yeah. I was involved in a trip, and someone else knew about it, and I think I've helped them probably connect with another 20 people since on new crypt. So my observation is like a lot of these, you know, fintech startups and tech startups is they're really growing through um, delivering a good experience and then word of mouth or advocacy. Um, and of course, the fact that it needs groups to work makes it brilliant for word of mouth expansion, right? Because by definition, you need other people to plug in to get the utility and the value out of it. Yeah. Totally agree. And and something I, I always say is the best marketing is a great product, right? And so that's, I think, particularly when you're starting out as a startup, you need to get the product right. And then marketing should really be fuel for the growth on top of that. Um, so maybe we'll see them, uh, maybe we'll see them start to market soon, but hopefully we can drive a few more downloads with this conversation as well. <laughs> yeah. And look, you hit on a point. I completely agree. You know, I, I kind of think of myself as an economic marketer in some ways and how do you grow your brand and adoption in the best way and you know with technology where we live in an experience economy and if you can deliver that good experience first that's what drives the early growth it's the most powerful lever for scale and growth early on and and by the way i don't think it finishes early i think what you've got to do as a brand and marketer post that is is find out ways to amplify what what's happening in the product and what's happening with the experience 
Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. And and not to go down too too much of a tangent on this, but I think it's such an important conversation that we've touched on already in the first three minutes and fifty seven seconds of this conversation. But I think I think the role of marketing, particularly in an early stage business, but really should be scaled throughout, no matter what size company you are, should really be twofold in terms of how it drives growth. The obvious one that we spend a lot of time talking about is how do you take the product and bring it to market and change perception and behavior. But the other one is actually going the other way. So how, as a marketer, you're the one who should be closest to the consumer. So how do you take insights, whether that's quantitative insights or qualitative insights about what you're seeing with how people are reacting to what you're saying about the business and brand, and feed that back into the product team to make the product even stronger? So I think I think it really should be going both ways, and I don't think we spend enough time talking about that other direction of flow and growth opportunity for marketing. You know, I can't agree with you more. So let's make sure we dig into that as we talk today. Nice. Um, so, James, let's touch on your background a little bit. Uh, so, global head of brand strategy and marketing at Zero. Uh, but tell us a little bit about your uh, background in marketing and how you got to Zero. Yeah, for sure. So, hey, look, I, I mean, I'm a proud Kiwi. I, I grew up in New Zealand and have done most of my education in New Zealand. But really, before I got into my career, I, um, I, well, I wasn't a tech geek. I love technology. And I think early on, I could just see its potential to really improve the experiences and the lives we have. And that, that kind of expired, you know, inspired me um, quite a lot. That combined with that curiosity around how people behave and operate and a realization that while we, we would love to all think that we're, you know, rational creatures, um, where we're hugely social and emotive too. And, and I guess that's what's kind of delivered me into this career in marketing and technology is, is the nexus of these two things. So for me, um, I started out briefly in a telco, um, but then jumped into a, a, um, a multinational IBM. And um, look, I ended up spending 40, 14 years at IBM and that was a lot of different roles. Um, it took me right out of New Zealand. I lived uh, in Asia, um, lived in Australia quite a lot of time, and traveled the world. I think I worked out I've been to as exotic places as Argentina and Kazakhstan now in my career. And um, I've truly loved those experiences with other cultures and uh, other markets and the, the challenges there have really stimulated me but also helped me realize that actually you know as humans we we have really common needs and bonds and behavioral um, lineages which which drive us and that's a really fun thing to be able to understand and I guess try to figure out how to operate it best in in my role um, and you know so look um, after IBM I spent um, a few years as CMO in a couple of other tech companies, global tech companies. And then I joined this business, Zero, three years ago. So for the last three years, I've been helping drive the brand, the marketing strategy, and the go to marketing strategy here at Zero. You know, it's interesting just to pick up on something you you mentioned. I, you know, talking to so many marketers and just being in the space for a while, there's so many people that come from more of that 
human psychological, sociological background that kind of think the way that I just heard you describe your background and your travels and building perspective and understanding how how people work because at the end of the day – that is the job of marketing is to drive the growth of the business by changing behavior and perception. And so you need to understand the business side, but you also need to understand the people side. So I think you see a lot more people <clears throat> in senior positions like yourself that have that broad base of experience and perspective, particularly when they're tasked with growing a global business and brand like Zero. Yeah, I, I think so. And, you know, it comes from that, that fact, right, that we're human beings. And as human beings, we're probably somewhat anxious creatures and and highly emotive. Um, You know, most of our inner dialogue is an emotional kind of conversation that we have with ourselves, not a rational one. So I think as as business people, as leaders of humans in our company, but also as the people that need to connect with the marketplace and the customers, understanding that, that, that emotive side of us as humans is such a strong driver is really fundamental. I think... You know, the rational side is actually a lot easier to deal with and um, manage. And so if you can you can plug into and understand that emotive driver and get that working well for you as a business in all areas, then the rational side comes a lot easier and, and then growth comes easier and all these other things that we're trying to do. I'm excited to ask you at the end, one of our last questions is for sources of inspiration. I feel like you're going to have some good like book, podcast uh uh, information source recommendations <laughs> for me to add to my list. But let's talk a little bit more about your philosophy on marketing overall and then how you're applying that at zero. So what's the high-level strategy? How are you thinking about at the most macro level building the brand and driving growth of the business at zero? Yeah, um, obviously something I spend a good chunk of my time thinking about and doing, a course. And look, I, th- I think probably in a word for me, my philosophy is authenticity. Um, you know, there's that that really old classic Shakespearean quote out of Hamlet, to thine own self be true. And it it's totally profound that if you can find a way to to bring authenticity into yourself as a leader and, and an individual, but into your business and your brand, it resonates really powerfully. It resonates with your people. And, and therefore how they can operate and how they can be really great at what they're doing. And it, then it resonates out through your organization to your customer base and market. And so, you know, I start with how do we, how do you find the authenticity of a brand or track back to where a brand can be really authentic? Um, and if we can find that, it's, it's a really powerful grounding and place to start from. Um, and I love this. You know, when I probably started out of my career, there were lots of good examples of, of brands and products that would overpromise and broadcast that promise. And really, there just wasn't a lot of good mechanisms for them to be caught out or, or get feedback. Now we live in this, you know, social media empowered economy. And that's just amazing because it means your your authenticity comes through through all the different channels, but you get really instant feedback on that. And I think what I see now with great brand leaders, great marketers, and and business leaders is they really are open to all these channels, and they they are um, willing to embrace them as as really useful channels of feedback and inspiration, rather than you know what might have happened in the past and perhaps some people still operate from, which is a 
a viewpoint of that's the noise or or the you know the grudging part of the market. Um, it's so much more powerful than that, and um, I just love being able to try and make sure that we really embrace all that feedback and dialogue and treat it for what it is, genuine, rich feedback. So that's kind of, I guess, my philosophy or or where I come from, and it certainly meant in my career over the recent years I've really sought out brands that or businesses that have a yearning for this or come from the space and and perhaps a little bit more deeply realised it's it's hard to work for a brand or a business that doesn't have some kind of alignment there. Um, you know, so that's that's kind of where I come from, I guess. In terms of a strategy, because you asked about strategy as well, um, I think you've got to start with that. Understand in terms of your business, where it comes from, and, and what, are the, what are the challenges or the problems you, you believe and you can genuinely solve in a market for individuals. If you can really understand that and tap into that vein, then um, you're starting to build a really a powerful, you know, connection to a marketplace or a or, or bunch of customers. So, um, you know, you, we talk a lot about what are the problems we're solving, what are the what are the functional issues we're addressing, but what are also those states, emotive states, or the things that are making organisations and people anxious, and how do we tap into that and figure out how to pull some of that um, anxiety and challenge out of someone's day. Um, and so that's that's really where it's got to start, right? Which is just understanding where you where you're adding that value, both functionally and emotionally. Um, you know, as long as with doing that, I think it's realizing that we in fintech and in technology, we're part of what is really an experience economy now. So, how do we make sure everything we do? do um, aligned to delivering on the full experience. And, and that's really challenging and exciting because it means at that highest level strategy, you've got to be looking at culture, your people, uh, and how you're enabling them and empowering them to deliver that experience, not just the technology. Um, and again, that's something which I think is a really exciting shift we've seen in the last decade in terms of more and more organisations realising it is about that whole experience and that whole experience promise. And so, again, I spend a lot of my time looking at and thinking about how we keep enriching and progressing the whole experience and empowering that inside the organization and outside as well. So much good stuff to unpack in there. And I was sitting over here nodding my head for for most of that. Um I think one thing to to build on, just because I'm super passionate about it, is you were talking about uh, the way that I kind of interpreted it is, you know, there's an opportunity to have feedback from what you're doing fit into how you develop future marketing or your thinking and approach on marketing. And I think that's such such a big piece. Like we were talking about before, there's that cycle of marketing and consumer into the product. But then I think that one of the fundamental shifts that's happening in marketing right now, and, and most of this, I think with anything, any type of innovation, to use air quotes, right, is yeah. fundamentally about technology 
allowing for different and new ways to provide more value than what yeah. was able to be done before. And so there, you know, there's so much and so many ways that that's applied to innovation and disruption across the landscape of business and certainly within marketing. But one of them is that particularly in the digital space and digital channels, but even in offline, increasingly there's more opportunity to get more feedback from the content and creative that you're putting out there. And one of the things that I see with, and you know, this is painting things with a broad brush, but traditional marketing was not built and traditional marketers did not come up in that type of environment, right? They came up in the environment of you come up with the idea and then you distribute it and then you see what happens to the bottom line of the business. But now it's much more iterative. There are these micro cycles when you should be able to put out a bunch of content, see what's working, and there's less risk in terms of what you double down on and how you scale your campaigns. So I just wanted to touch on that because um, I'm super passionate about it. And I think it's if you had to lay out the top three to five fundamental shifts that are defining kind of new age marketing and marketers from old age marketing and marketers, I think that's such a big one. Yeah, it's pretty- it's pretty cool, isn't it? We, um, I definitely embrace that. I mean, you know, obviously digital is the richest ground for um, being able to get these feedback loops working well. Um, and on the surface, that's simply looking at what what messages, what creative and what communications um, evoke the strongest reaction, and that could be negative or positive. You know, it is actually super easy for a modern marketer to, grab hold of that data and embrace it, and then um, make sure you're responding to it. So look, for us, Eric, that's that's every day in marketing here. We um, we actually have um, an in-house design and creative team, and that's not too uncommon now, but we're, we're really um, proud of having highly creative and capable marketing um, design and um um, creative services in the business, um, and that is because we want people that really care about the brand and the, the mission we're on, but also, therefore, people who are really going to embrace that feedback and act on it because they're they're working for a you know a bigger bigger cause than just protecting their creative that they delivered in the last campaign. And so, for us, that's that's a part of that recipe as well. That's super important. Yeah, yeah. So let's talk about that. Um, quickly because I think that that is a topic that's top of mind in the industry and particularly for marketers who are listening that maybe come from more of the big financial service side of the market versus the startups. Um, But, you know, in housing of particularly creative, but I think you also see it with media, you know, I think there's there's obviously a strong argument for having people that care more about the brand, the integration of the teams. It can be more cost efficient rather than paying agency rates and, and their margins. But usually the downside is uh, whether you can afford to have that fixed cost on your book mm. and whether you can actually get the best talent, right? So how have you gone about, was there an in, in-house team when you got there or have you built that out? And how have you gone about and been able to overcome some of those obstacles to making that in-house creative model work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Look, so um, I was lucky enough to inherit um, a, a team when I started here. I mean, design's been been really closely held to the zero experience and brand from day dot. So um, it wasn't new or native when I joined. Um, it was already a journey I was well along in terms of being able to create your own content in-house and respond quickly um, because it just makes so much sense. 
And since I've been here, we've we've certainly built out and grown that capability, um, channeled it into some new areas. So we're really um, invigorated by the potential to keep celebrating our customers' success by telling their stories and putting them up on a pedestal. So it's really easy to find lots of great zero customers that are doing amazing things, and that's like a almost a bottomless well of great stories and inspiration for other businesses out there. And we see a whole lot of room to help bring knowledge and education to small businesses. So how do we actually take a role and feel responsible for not just delivering a great solution, but also, you know, actually helping businesses get smarter and more empowered with knowledge. So with those kind of things in mind, like it hasn't been hard to, not that I've had to justify or convince myself or anyone else that these are really smart investments. Um, and to that end, you know, I've, I've not directly tried to economically justify it versus using an agency, but I suspect that, um, well, I know that it, it, it would justify itself every day. Um, but that's not where we, you know, we built this um, based on just economics. In terms of attracting the right people and engaging the pe- the right people, we do, we do a couple of things around that. Firstly, um, you know, creative people love to be stimulated, so we need to make sure we create an environment where they can be stimulated um, and challenge themselves and broaden themselves at a creative level. Um, we, we don't want to choke that because that's that's what's so special about these kinds of people. Um, so that means, you know, um, stimulating them, allowing them to be um, creative and try things all the time and, and do, do things that are going to give them delight and inspiration. Also accept people will move in and out in those kinds of roles. We have an amazing retention rate, but, but it's okay for people to want to go on and work for another brand and explore their creativity in other ways, and you know, we try. I try and celebrate that. Um, but also, I think what we've found is we've tapped into a lot of creatives that are out there in the agency land, um, and actually get really frustrated by doing amazing work, and you know, kind of send, then see the client stuff it up by either not fully implementing it, not um, following it fully through. And I think for a lot of creatives, that's that's quite a hollow kind of existence or experience. So we find um, some amazingly creative people coming here because they, they actually yearn that deeper connection to a brand and being able to bring ideas out and then see them evolve and be part of that evolution. And it, Eric, it feels to me like it's the combination of those things that so far has worked pretty well for us. I love that. Um, and yeah, as someone who spent 10 years plus in the agency world, uh, that's, that definitely rings rings true, unfortunately. Um, so, so why don't we use that as a as a bridge into something else that you talked about with authenticity? You talked a lot about kind of the internal side of your role as head of marketing. So, um, the people side, and and I'm sure it's too simplistic to call it internal comms because it sounds like from the way you're talking about it, you don't view it as separate things, which I think a lot of people do. You have your marketing or your marcoms, and then you have your internal comms. But it sounds like, and and help me out here in terms of unpacking this a little bit. It sounds like it's more the same thing, and actually comes from the same place. And you need to be thinking about both of those together. And I also um, I, I was trolling your Twitter feed a little bit, and I found this tweet I really liked that you put out from ZeroCon in November. Your chief people officer had a slide that said, 
creating a global movement that inspires trust, delivers beautiful experiences, and empowers our people, customers, and communities to thrive. So I'd love to hear you build a little bit on that and how you approach your role and, and the role of marketing within Zero, focused on internal and how that relates to the external marketing you're doing as well. Hey, yeah, well, it's, it's a great topic and it really gets to the sort of the, the heart of authenticity, doesn't it, in terms of how do you make sure you're delivering uh, that authentic experience for your people, but really engaging them and allowing them to fully lean in to the business. So that is absolutely about communication. And of course, um, communication by definition is a two-way path, not a broadcast. And I think where perhaps a lot of corporates fall into a trap is internal comms really becomes a broadcast mechanism, not a listening mechanism. So, look, we do have some amazing talent that works on internal comms in our business, but they really embrace this idea of, of creating the dialogue and seeking the feedback as much as starting the conversation. And indeed, you know, sometimes the conversation is started not by some um, business-led initiative, but, but from our, our people as well and, and making sure we embrace, embrace that. So it really is... Um, embracing our staff and that whole engagement cycle. And look, that to work really well um, comes down to creating trust in your organisation. And, you know, when we talk about authenticity, um, trust is a huge part of that. And I think it's something we're seeing businesses and institutions get more, more and more challenged with globally. But unless we find the right ways to create an environment where people feel they can be the human they are, um, they can speak honestly um, and be trusted, then I don't think you can get that authentic kind of dialogue happening inside at all. Um, and if you don't do it inside, then, um, you know, it's so hard to really build out a brand that will radiate out to the community and to the broader market in an authentic way. So I, I don't think there's any, you know, secret sauce here, but you've, you've got to embrace communications. You've got to think about how you're building trust and allowing trust to be built right through the organisation. Um, and probably one of my uh, most core observations here is as leaders making sure we you know, allow trust to be built and be really human ourselves. So, you know, look, for me, that's things like showing my vulnerabilities, being upfront when I don't understand something or know it, which is a heck of a lot, um, telling people how I feel. You know, it's okay to, you know, say you're having a bad day or you're challenged by something. And I think as more and more as leaders, if we do that, it just opens the permission for our people. And when you do that, um, we definitely see that radiate really strongly out to the community. So I think, look, that's some of the way I look at it. And probably if I think about what I've just articulated to you, it's, it's less probably about marketing leadership, but probably leadership of businesses today and people. And I'm, I'm not sure, you know, marketing leadership is the right way to look at it. It's probably just how we've got to get people thinking about leadership and business today. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. And um you know, it's something I always think about. At the end of the day, everything in in business, when it comes to the product, the marketing, uh, the financials, uh, it all comes down to the people, 
right? Who they are, how they think, and how they work together. So I think that if you peeled back what's working and also what's not working in most organizations, marketing departments included, you can probably figure out, you know, what's causing either the success or not the success based on based on that people yeah. part. Um, it's something I, I know you're also passionate about the integration of marketing and sales as am I. And the way that I think about that is you got to start by looking at the people. Yeah. So how, who does marketing and sales roll up to? If it's separate people, how do they work together? What's the actual ways of working in terms of how those teams overlap? And so I'd imagine, I, I think we're kind of talking about the same type of philosophy here. And I would imagine when it comes to what you're talking about with the people and the auth- authenticity and kind of that integration between who you are as a business and the people you have and who you are as a business externally to the market being the same thing, I would imagine that that probably starts in large part at the top with you. And I'm, I'm guessing that the relationship and the way that you work with your chief people officer is probably different than it is in a lot of other companies. And that's what leads to a lot of this um, this success, it sounds like. Yeah, look, I hope so. You know, we um, a lot of businesses talk about things like um, – their brand and then their employee brand. Um, I'm pretty clear here. We just have one brand and it's zero. Who we are, our promise, um, you know, needs to be consistent everywhere. Um, obviously, we have different value propositions for different audiences and we have a, a people value proposition for, for people who come to work at zero, but but the brand experience needs to be consistent. Um, but Eric, you know, you touched on sales and marketing and um, gee, you know, if you just pause and think about that for a while, um, these are really old concepts um, in terms of business timelines. And what we're really describing is capabilities. Um, what I think we're seeing, again, in an experience economy where, where the brand or the, the experience sells itself is um, the role of marketing um, is, is in a lot of ways just to amplify what's already happening if you've got a great experience and product out there. Um, it's not to try and change what's happening or, you know, morph it in some way. It's to, to amplify it authentically. And then, you know, you think about sales as a discipline. It's it's not so much about closing a deal as much as being those human beings that are really um, missioned with helping the organization discover that value and the promise. So it's more of a discovery partnership kind of philosophy and approach when you've got a great experience rather than a, a sales closing kind of mentality. And I think, you know, at zero, that's the way we're trying to look at this in a really broad level. So we have um, a chief customer officer who really brings a whole breadth of um, disciplines together, which is all about bringing an authentic and um, whole experience to the customer in the market. Um, and it starts with marketing, but includes our customer success and customer support teams as well. And that's, you know, that's a really fun part of the organization to be in because it really allows us to open our mind and say, how do we best solve this problem? If, if, if it was just the marketing team looking at it, it would be, we can campaign this or we can, you know, solve this with a campaign versus really understanding where that's occurring in the experience and saying, well, which capability is best to to resolve this or help improve it? So um, the interesting thing about that then is I think you continually get a lift in experience and a better experience overall because you're not afraid or you're better empowered to bring the right capability set in the organisation to the problem. 
And more and more, we've, we're finding that's a combined capability set rather than just a sales problem or just a marketing problem uh, or customer service problem. It's a combination. So, you know, that's a journey we're on, and I, I think it's a lot of fun, um, and we're seeing good outcomes from it, but we're, we're, we're only just starting, I reckon. So, so, James, let's change gears a little bit. You uh, recently launched a new campaign all around uh, beautiful business. Uh, would love to hear how that came to life, how it's going, where it's going from here. I will say, you know, I've seen some of the, just anecdotally for me in London, I've seen some of the out of home that you've done around that. And I was spending some time on, on your YouTube page seeing all the, you know, digital shorts, or maybe they're the TV spots, I'm not sure, and also some of the supporting digital content that you've done. But I'd love to talk a little bit about how that campaign's going. Hey, yeah. Look, um, so we're super excited about this. You know, we we went on a journey around beautiful business um, some time ago. So um, actually, um, it was over a year ago, we, we changed our tagline from beautiful accounting software to beautiful business. And it really was just um, realizing the fact that Xero is not just accounting software, it really is a small business platform, um, which, you know, enables an amazing ecosystem of fintech and other tech platforms to plug in and add value to our customers. So that, that then quickly leads to, you know, our mission isn't just about bringing beautiful accounting software to small businesses. The promise is much more about making their business more beautiful. Um, and that's been really exciting, um, and we've we've had great feedback on on taking that shift and the potential it opens both for the way we think about things, but but our partners and even our customers. Uh, one of the things we've observed, however, is um, there are a lot of businesses out there that are still fundamentally operating um, without the the benefit of the technology they could have, and. Uh, while the brand promise is, is great, it's, it's human, it's compelling, um, these people are just flat out running their own business every day. And they really are, you know, just in a state of um, keeping things moving and, and challenged in their day-to-day environment. So with our latest campaign, we've, we've stepped away from probably celebrating small businesses so much as the lead story and that's what we've done for quite some time, to really just trying to jolt some of those businesses into a realisation and some point of action that there is a better way. So what you kind of see in the campaign is some, some quirky humour, hopefully. We, we kind of feel we're a little bit quirky in the way we express our brand, but quirky humoured ways of showing um, the... <laughs> the strong difference between using technology and not. And and with that, we're, we're hoping just to help jolt some people and small businesses into thinking about what technology could do do for them. So we've had this in, in market since the start of the year. Um, and look, it's, in a lot of ways, it's it's too early to, to tell how it will resonate um, long-term, but certainly we're seeing some good you know, digital signals and other signals that we're um, we're evoking a response in the market. Um, you talked about the power of the feedback and digital mechanisms to marketing. You know, we've released uh, a bunch of creatives and we've got some pretty strong views and um, formed some views on which ones of those are working strongest and even how they work strongest 
in terms of the length of format, the medium they use. And we use that to kind of, if you like, put more chips down on certain areas and certain creatives and pull them off others. Um, and it's already helping us think about some next iterations of, of the campaign. So we're kind of looking at those signals pretty closely and, um, you know, already using that to uh, manage the way we invest in the campaign. Uh, it's also a pretty huge campaign. And, you know, we talked about the capabilities Zero has in creative. I think at launch we were um, up close to 900 different creative executions just to go to launch. And I'd imagine by the time we're done with this campaign, we'll have will have delivered thousands of different creative versions to the market and to the mediums. And, you know, some of them will be relatively small format changes or copy changes, but it becomes quite an epic level of content production um, that you can do and I think you need to do um, if you really want to lever all that feedback and lever all these channels we have now. Yeah. Yeah, I, I totally agree. As we talked about before, that feedback loop, but also like you're talking about, it's the the creative approach to marketing needs to include a much higher volume of content production than it ever did before. And I think that's a fundamental shift that a lot of businesses and brands are still wrapping their head around. It's no longer about the TV spot and some matching luggage digital assets. It's, <laughs> you know, you're in the content business as a modern day marketer. Um, so I totally agree with all that. So, so James, unfortunately, we're running out of time. I'm really enjoying this and could certainly go on uh, much longer. I know it's late in the day for you, but can't talk about zero uh, marketing without talking about ZeroCon. So I'd love to hear a couple minutes from you on just kind of how that fits into your marketing playbook, how that's been going. You know, we as 11FS have been have been a media partner at ZeroCon here in London for the last three years. It's now in, in Brisbane and in San Diego. I don't know how many thousands of people have gone, but I think what's really interesting about that is, you know, you've taken a topic in accounting and made it very cool and exciting. And, you know, everybody talks about the ZeroCom parties and it's it's a place to be. So you've taken the topic of accounting and and the concept of a vendor conference and made it uh, engaging and exciting and cool. So I'd love to hear you talk a little bit about that. Yeah, well, well, yeah, thanks, Eric. And I'm glad you've, you've sort of been able to experience that yourself live. Look, I think this comes to, again, how do you, how do you help uh, your most important communities experience your brand and engage with it? Um, and, and thinking about lots of different channels. So, you know, when we think about ZeroCon, is it is it an event? Is it a brand experience? Is it a community engagement program? It's just all of them, and I, I, I just don't get caught up trying to put it in one box or another. But what, what we've realised is, you know, there's so much room, I think, in marketing and, and indeed in our category to, to take things which have just become... Um, category norms and 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 wholly uninspiring like vendor conferences or events in general and say, how do we just turn this into something that's a bit different and and lift the game and reinvent it and reimagine it? And so that's what's happened with ZeroCom. We've showed love to, I guess, a category and a community that weren't feeling a lot um, and just, just challenged them to engage in different ways. And um, I think what we've seen happen is that that engagement just has been paid back to us. And when I look at what makes ZeroCon special now, it's the engagement and the passion of the community there. Our 
our ecosystem and fintech partners, the accountants that attend, they're the ones that make it special um, and and really keep fueling it. Um, so that's that's kind of how we look at it. I tell you, every year it's it's fun, but it's also kind of scary. We we finish and the next day we kind of have our debrief meeting and we go, how do we do it to a next level again next year? And actually we're we're loving that challenge, but it's 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 full on as well. Um, and kind of again, we use feedback a lot here, so we we have pushed boundaries hard in some areas and pulled back as we've delivered that experience. Um, but we're really lucky that we've got a, a leadership team and a business that's happy for us to keep pushing it and learning rather than falling into just sort of some kind of trusted and tried formula. So for us, Zerocon is a, a massively energizing. Um, and focused kind of event in our calendar. Um, it really is about brand and community love and celebrating that. Um, and, and we just find it fuels a whole lot of benefit right across the business. So, you know, I'd say so far so good. We we have and are working now on what a sort of a three-year plan looks for ZeroCon because we think there's some incredibly exciting potential to um, to take it further in different ways. And um, we're starting to build a sort of a longer-term roadmap to see how we can go on that. That's great. So, James, before I let you go, uh, just a couple quick questions to wrap things up. So the (laughs) first is, what are your sources of inspiration, whether it's in the world of marketing or business, life in general? Uh, Any recommendations for our audience? Wow. You know, so look, you know, again, right, we're in a content economy as well. So it's just amazing how many sources of inspiration we can tap into. I am a podcast fiend. Um, with my career, I get plenty of time on planes. Uh, so, you know, I love listening to podcasts and, you know, of course this is a great podcast, but some of the other ones that I um, I do tune into is um, the Internet History Podcast and the Masters of Scale Podcast. That's by Reid Hoffman. I love listening to that because, you know, at times in your day job, in your your week, you're, you're just thinking about how do we keep things moving? How do we keep growing? How am I, why am I dealing with this challenge? And when you listen to these kind of scale and history stories, you realize that everyone's been through these kind of pitfalls and troughs in their career. And it's just fun hearing how people get out the other side and how once you've gone through them, it's um, it's a lot easier on the other side. So that's a bit of kind of, I guess, geeky soul food for me. Um, I love the On Being podcast with Krista, Krista Tippett, just the humanness of that and some of the people she's able to engage with that are great humans of the world. Um, I find that really great soul food for me as well. So that's kind of my podcast world. Um I do get geeky and read it from time to time. Um, there's just lots of really exciting dialogues that go on there, and I, I really find I, I chop and change topics based on what I'm curious on, and that's sometimes behaviours that I'll see and it'll trigger or inspire me to go and find out more about it. And then, you know, more and more, I'm trying to find ways and engineer conversations with um, younger people, millennials, and those people are coming into the workforce and early into the workforce. And, you know, what, what's triggering me there, Eric, is um, I think we're facing some really interesting opportunities and challenges 
as a planet and as 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 business. And I'm just not sure that um, we have all the answers. Those that have been through a couple of decades of this, I think we need fresh eyes and views on how to look at this and how to think about it. People that are less attached to perhaps the dogma, even even I might have. So kind of one of the things I'm spending more and more time on is just engaging with younger people in dialogues on what what's concerning them or inspiring them and getting super curious on that. It even means I have a TikTok account now, but I, I tell you, I don't know if I'm getting a lot of value out of that just yet. Well, let's stick at it. We'll see what happens. But that's great. I've got my I got my homework to do. Um, so, last question uh, to wrap things up: Who else do you think we should get on the show? Maybe for season two. Hey, yeah. So you know, I, there was a couple of people I'd love to shout out and suggest, and that's Brooke Roberts and Ben Crotty from a another small New Zealand tech startup, actually called Sharesies. Um, what I love about Sharesies is they're looking at how apps and technology can really uh, engage a new generation in the equity markets and making it affordable and fun to engage and enter and start to think about how they could create wealth and understand wealth. And I just I just love the way Sharesies is um, thinking about that very much from an experience and a generational point of view and doing things so different again in a, in a kind of a, a part of the market which which feels very conservative and traditional at times. So that would be, uh, you know, my first off suggestion for you, Eric. I reckon that'd be a really fun conversation. We'll have to check them out. So that is a wrap on today's FinTech Marketing Podcast. Thank you so much to James for joining me all the way from New Zealand. Where can people find out more about you or maybe connect directly? Hey, Eric. Well, thanks for the conversation. Look, obviously, I'm at Zero, and I'm, I'm pretty easy to find through channels at Zero, but also easy to reach on Twitter. My Twitter handle being at James Kidd, and you spell that J-A-M-E-S-K-Y-D. Great. And thank you so much to everyone for listening to today's show. If you want to find out more about 11FS, head over to 11FS.com to see how we're helping companies go truly digital. And don't forget to subscribe so you never miss an episode of the FinTech Marketing Podcast. And please, as we're getting the show off the ground in season one, please share it, uh, send us some feedback and thoughts, and please leave a, leave a review if you did enjoy what we talked about today. You can always reach us at 11FS on Twitter or find us on LinkedIn. And we'd love to hear your suggestions for new guests or questions. You can email the team here, podcasts at 11fs.com. We'll have more episodes for you coming out very soon. Thanks so much for listening. Have a great day.